Grab your seats. Let's go to the book of Luke today, chapter number one. That's where we're going to take our text. We're going to kind of dive through a bunch of different things in this passage. So I hope that you will um, just kind of dig in and, and get ready for just kind of a different approach to this passage and what it brings out. In Luke chapter number one, we're really focusing here on, on the Christmas story and how it applies to our lives in unique, applicable ways to today. And last week, we talked about those twists and turns that happen in life. And um, this week has definitely been one of those for us. How many of you have kind of experienced some twists and turns in your life this week where it maybe not didn't go as planned, but you saw God moving in the chaos? How many of you have seen that this week? All right. And, and so today, we're going to take a, a, a look at just a few different sessions, if you would. If you break down Luke 1, you get four different scenes of the Christmas story. All right, and so take it as a movie or a chapter. I know it's one chapter of the Bible, but there's so many different things that transpire here. I, I like the beginning. I almost skipped over this, but I think it's very important that we do this because I feel like we're living in a world where people are trying to get attention drawn to them instead of attention drawn to the Savior. And, and, and I like how the author of Luke started this chapter. Can we just hit that real quick in introduction, and then we'll get to our context. In verse number one, it says, many people have said, to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. I like this verse. This needs to be a verse that is applied to every one of our lives. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. I believe that is such an important part of our spiritual walk is that we go to the beginning. And in our faith, it starts Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, somebody finish it with me. Ready? God created the heavens and the earth. And from the beginning to the end, and he will rule and reign forever. Amen. These things will happen. Amen. We need to study and be ready to give an accurate account of what the word of God says. Too many people are giving an accurate account of what they want you to believe so that you will follow them. And we need believers that say this is an accurate account of Jesus so that you'll follow him. If you got that, say got it. There are a lot of people, and I'm going to tell you this right now. God will not use his word to tear down another to build another up. He uses his word to bring us to an equality and a level playing field at the cross of Jesus Christ where there is none greater than the other other than the name of Jesus. And there, all sinners have equal rights to grace and mercy. And there, all people have a right to heaven. And all people have a right to God's power through the Holy Spirit being made known to them on earth. We're living in a generation where people are guided by their own desires and their own ambitions, and they will not rightly interpret Scripture, but instead they will mutilate it and they will twist it to make themselves look like God. Be careful. That's going to happen more and more in the last days, according to Matthew 24. Understand this, that in the Christmas story, we would be lost without an accurate account. And how many people will split hell wide open? Because believers gave an inaccurate account of who Jesus is. Now that, that, that stuck out to me. I almost preached the whole sermon there, but I thought, you know what? That's one of those thoughts that it just hits you, you grab it, and you go. We don't need to explain that any further, do we? All right, can I tell you how you give an accurate account? Write these things down real quick. You study. You study. You don't just read, you study. 
Anybody can read the Word of God, but a student studies it. We always say this, the difference between reading and studying is a pen and paper. Nowadays, you could say your tablet and your notepad, right? Or your Apple pen or your Samsung pen. But the difference between just reading through something and actually studying it is to actually take note and to try to see it in other passages of Scripture as well. And, And Garrett gives a wonderful class on that. Every time he starts a new Bible study, he gives you the questions you should be asking when studying the Word of God. So on Wednesday nights, when they start over, get in there if you want that. We've preached it from here, so I don't want to reiterate it. Unless you want it, come see me after. Um, understand this, that not only do I need to, to read and not only do I need to study it, but I also need to apply it. And, and, and I need to start practicing those things. Um, you're not a good shooter because somebody taught you how to shoot. You're a good shooter, and I'm talking basketball. You're a good shooter because not only did somebody teach you how to shoot, but you actually went and practiced what they taught you. You, you kept your elbow in. You, you had the shoulder width apart. You had your dominant foot with your dominant hand a little bit in front of the other. You had the, the proper balance and you, you bent the knees and you followed through and, and you shot from the top, not from the chest. And, and, and you made sure that you, you left your fingers pointed towards the basket that you wanted to go. And, and, and you held it there, right? And, 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 and the ball had rotation because of it. You didn't shoot from the palm of your hand. You shot from the fingertip. I mean, we could go down through it and we could say, this is how you shoot but you could still be a terrible shooter after we teach you. You know why? Because a lot of people don't want to bring that elbow in. You know, um, they, they, they're, it's more comfortable this way. Right, Dusty? It's more comfortable this way, but there's no accuracy this way. You might be able to make some, but the ball follows the path of the hand. The ball follows the path of the elbow. It's all connected. It's amazing that I can take a a basketball shot and bring it into reality of Bible and study. It's all connected and every part does the work. And when the Bible says do A, B, C, D, and you're like, B's too hard, I'm going to leave that elbow out, you're going to miss the shot. How many of you got it? Say got it. We got too many people that are like, you know what? I want to go. I want to learn. I want to do these things, but don't ask me to live it. Uh, a matter of fact, let's say this. We have a problem when it comes to ourselves with authority, and we don't like when somebody or something is teaching us how to live or telling us what to do. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. The only time we have a problem with authority is number one, when we're breaking the rules and going against it, or number two, we got something hidden we don't want them to know. And so when we're doing those things and all of a sudden God steps in and says, hey, there's a way that seems right, but we got to go a different way. You're making a mistake. You're doing these things. What do we want to do? We want to fight the authority. All right. So it's like Adam and Eve. We want to hide and be our own authority, making our own clothes out of our own leaves, out of our own mindset. Or we want to come honest before God gets stripped down to nothing so that in our nakedness and total exposure, we can find that the love of God covers us and makes us right. We either hide or we get it right. And so understand this, like the Christmas story in our lives is one of the most important literal stories that has taken place. And there's so many truths in it. Literally, I think we could start preaching a Christmas series in September and, and, and literally not get through all the truths of it by the time we got to December. And I'm kind of thinking about maybe next year doing that. If, if Cracker Barrel puts out their Christmas stuff before Halloween, then maybe we can dive into the scriptures a little early too and see what God has to say. But today we're going to take these four scenes and we're going to look at some things that are kind of common in our lives. Look at this, if you would, in verse number five. When, and when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. 
They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. And as was custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was burning, being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. By the way, can I tell you this? This is a good message on when things aren't going the way you want them to go. The things aren't working out the way you thought they would work out. You still just need to keep serving God because you never know what God's going to invade and do. You're old and you got no kids. And that's a shame in that day and time. That's a badge of defeat. When you cannot carry on your name. Which, by the way, if we skip to the end of the chapter, by the way, spoiler alert, Elizabeth gets pregnant and Angel's about to show up and change everything. And then at the end, instead of naming the baby Zechariah, they were instructed to name the baby John, meaning this, that God had no intention in carrying on the name of Zechariah, but he had great intention of birthing his name in through his leader that would go out and usher in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, so many times I think we get so caught up in what we're building that we forget that God wants to build something through us. And even in the midst of those moments in life when it's not working out, you just need to keep doing what's right. They were careful to obey. They were righteous. They did the right thing. They followed God's command. They followed God's uh, ordinances. And I see too many people, when God doesn't work it out the way they want it to work out, they give up on their faith. And I'm telling you now, that's the time you dig into faith the most. When a marriage gets hard, when things get difficult, when children are hard to raise, when jobs come and go, when things get scarce, dig deeper into your faith. That's when faith matters most. And at any time, God can invade your righteousness, invade your habits, invade what you're doing, and usher in what he wants to do. I've learned in my life that oftentimes I've delayed what God wanted to do because I had to get right with God before he could do it. Stay right with God and omit the time of recovery and restoration and just keep the walk that will allow God to come parallel with you and accomplish what he wants to do. So it goes on and it says this, the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, verse 13. God has heard your prayer. Can I give you another one? Keep praying what you want and the desire. Don't give up on your hopes and dreams. Don't, by the way, if you're old in the room, there's a big ministry for you. If you're young in the room, I mean, we see parallels, don't we? Elizabeth is old. Mary's a teenager. I mean, Elizabeth's on her way out of life. Mary's just finding life. Yet they're both going to go through something similar. Can I give you a word today? Please write this down. We need the people that are a little further along to help the people that are just getting started. Elizabeth was six months into her pregnancy before Mary got the news that she was going to be pregnant. I'm going to tell you this right now. I think the biggest danger that we have is as we start looking at ourselves and judging whether or not God can use us based on talent, ability, age, or the, the, the opportunities, finances, the things that we have. But in this story, you see God saying, okay, you're late in life. I need you. You're early in life. I need you. And both of you are going to have pregnancies that should not happen. Both of you are going to go through things that are not normal. Both of you are going to have a story that leads to a really incredible thing of Jesus Christ. One of you is barren, one of you a virgin. Two impossible pregnancies. Let's watch God work. Now, I don't know where you're at in life, but I sat down and I thought in certain areas of my life, I feel like certain seasons have already passed me. Anybody say that the season of your youth may not be today? How many of you are there? 
Yeah. Now, I know what's crazy is I see some raising their hands. I would be included that some of the others in the rooms would be like, you're still young. That means that we would look at you and say, you're old. No, I'm just kidding. But the thing is, is we have these moments that we're like, man, if I could go back to when I was a teenager. How many of you thought that ever in your life? If I could go back to my 20s, if I could go back to this. No, don't go back. Just bring somebody with you where you're going. Mary was in this thing of, 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 hey, I'm a virgin and I've never been with someone. Can I tell you this? Both of these ladies felt shame. All right, Elizabeth felt shame because she wasn't able to have a child. She couldn't carry on her husband's legacy, couldn't carry on the name, which was very important in the time. Mary felt shame because she was a virgin. What are people going to say? What about Joseph? What about these things? What's going to happen? I think it's important that we look at this and say that there's certain things in life that should never happen. But yet God's going to take the impossibles and make them possible for you. Certain things in life that we would give up on and, and get rid of. I give Libby a hard time all the time about her wedding and her future children, and she always laughs at me because she, she doesn't have a desire for children at 52 years of age. I'm just going to throw that out there, and uh, I know I, I just broke a rule and told a woman's age from the stage, and all oh, it's on Facebook too, so everybody knows how old Libby is, but you know, there's a desire in her, and I, I believe in that desire, and I believe in what God can do with that desire. I believe that hopefully there's a suit of God is going to come face to face with her one day. Not only do I believe that for her, I believe that for the young person who's got the broken heart that believes they could never love someone like they just loved and got hurt and broken in. Someone that's been left behind or, or, or they moved on or broke up with you. And I, and I see that all the time. I'm never dating again. Well, we, we believe that God can walk into your impossible and do something amazing. I heard somebody the other day and say, well, you know what? I finally got to the point in life where I am just done looking for that. And I looked at them and said, that's often the point in life when God steps in and gets it done. When we finally get to the place of just saying, okay, I'm accepting the fact that it may never, or I'm accepting the fact that it's a not now, then we give God the ability to have the leadership in our life that's required. And if we back it up with a faith in our life that he desires, then we will see God time and time again do impossible things. How many of you have, have experienced that in your life? Let's stop for a moment and just look. How many of you are in circumstances today that you never thought God would raise you to be in? You're in leadership or you're in a teaching position that you never thought God would use you. How many of you are doing things in career and in, in life that you never saw possible? Do you have a celebration of that? Anybody got that in life and say, you know, I, I've been from the broken to better. I've been from the worst to holy and right with God. Who's got that testimony today? Slip a hand up and just thank God for where you are and what he's done. You know, I think it's important that not only do we see this part of the story where we have women that are going to usher after that, that are walking into impossible situations. You also see two men that are full of doubt. All right, Zachariah, look at this. He says in, 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 in verse number, let's see, uh, let's start in verse number 16. The angel starts telling, hey, hey look, this is what your son John is going to do. Um, he goes in verse 14, says, you're going to have joy and gladness. You're going to, many are going to rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or uh, other alcoholic drinks. He will be before his birth. We know that's true because when Mary came in to with Elizabeth later on in this chapter, John jumps in the belly, in the womb. Look at this, verse 16. 
and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah told the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in her years. And then listen to this reply. I almost hear this as a thunderous reply. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. I I look at this and I think, you know, sometimes we get these doubts of being too old. Joseph had this doubt of, of, of being with Mary. What did he say? He thought that Joseph said that the Bible goes on and says that he thought about putting her away privately. In other words, he was going to take her out to dinner and break up with her. He was going to get her in a, a place where nobody was and say, we can't do this. I mean, Joseph is being told that the girl that he's in love with and dating is now pregnant, and though she hasn't cheated on him, nor any of that, that the Holy Spirit has brought this baby, and both of these men have created doubts. Can I write, I get two things out of this that doubt will do to you. Number one, write it down. Doubt will silence your faith. Zachariah, he says, hey, how can this happen? And what's the angel say? Until the baby's born, you can't talk. We've oftentimes joked in church to say, I don't know who got the gift. Hey, here's a barren woman that now is pregnant, been praying for a baby and has one and has a husband that can't back talk for nine months. That seems like a pretty good pregnancy, right? You know, here it is. She gets blessed and all these other things. But, but understand this, Zachariah has a crowd waiting on him. He's a priest. He's doing the burnt offering, the incense offering. Go study what that means. He's got to go out there and give an account. And the Bible literally paraphrasing later says that when he stepped out to give an account, he couldn't speak or say anything. So in the moment of his ministry, his ministry's hindered, his testimony's hindered, his thoughts are hindered, the things that he wants to do are hindered. Watch this, please write it down. Doubt will cripple your faith to the point that you can't share Jesus. And if you are doubting your salvation, doubting your calling, doubting the things that God has revealed to you in your life and the things that he is asking you to do, I promise you, someone full of doubt is not bold in their faith. And that's where we get the verse that says, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, self-discipline. Why? Because that chapter is talking about sharing your faith with other people. There's too many Christians today that have been called to greatness that are silent because they don't trust the one calling them and therefore they don't have the boldness to share the faith that God has given them. Doubt will silence you. How many of you have ever known what needed to be done but you didn't say it because you didn't want to look stupid? How many of you, let's go back to school, knew the answer the teacher was asking for but didn't want to raise your hand because you didn't want to sound silly or mess up in front of your peers? How many of us have ever been there? Doubt will silence you. But when we have confidence, we can stand boldly and proclaim the word of God. When we have confidence, we can come before God with boldness. When we have confidence, we can be a part of the let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If we have confidence, we can be the revelation church that stands before God, being able to testify. 
by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Confidence is the opposite of doubt. And when we have confidence in the God we serve, if we could just think today that the Holy Spirit is in your heart. And in I am God, the Spirit that stands in the God calling you to these things, then maybe, just maybe, instead of nine months of silence, we could have had nine months of ministry. Instead of loss of life and opportunity, we could have great joy. That brings me to Joseph. Joseph now almost led to loss of relationship, loss of the greatest opportunity the world has ever known, loss of being able to step into a moment that was supernatural and watch and witness God do incredible things. So not only will doubt silence you, but it will keep you from tremendous opportunities and connections in life. You know, I, I think about the single person who's in the room that might have a crush on somebody and they just, they, you know, they're, they're trying to get that person to notice them. And, and, and I'm going to tell you this, the best way to let somebody know that you like them is how? Tell them. Tell them. Now, um, obey your parents. You know, I'm not talking to the nine-year-old in here. Okay? Uh, um, I, I, you know, if you're 12 and not allowed to date, I'm not talking to you until a future time. If you're my daughter when you're 35, tell him. But tell me first. And he may disappear. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, the thing is, is the best way to let somebody know what's going on inside of you is to tell them. How many disagreements happen in marriages because we're scared to tell them what's bothering us? Right? How many disagreements happen with our children because they're scared to be open and honest? We've got this little situation with our little girl who is scared of her bedroom. Anybody else ever go through this phase? And um, every night you're battling to keep her in her bed. And of course, last night did not help. It was thundering. Uh, she came out right after we put her to bed and she goes, Mom, I, mom, why are you sitting here and not in your bed? I think there's thunderclouds in the sky, Mom. I hear them. <laughs> well, let's go see. So we turn on the light, and she's looking for thunderclouds. And then about 2 a.m., they were there. I'm literally saying to Jordan, is that a tornado? Is that a tornado? Is that a tornado? Because some of those thunders were the longest I've ever heard. Anybody else experienced that last night? The next thing you know, our door starts to... And there's our little girl. And our dog. <laughs> and we told both of them, go ahead and get in the bed. I, I haven't got to read the text, but I saw, you know, how you get a little preview on your phone right before I preached. I had a text from Jordan and Canaan Jordan, woke up in our bed and said, oh my, what am I doing here? Am I in trouble? <laughs> like she didn't even remember getting. I, I, I know this to be true, that sometimes that doubt, that fear that creeps in will keep us from opening the door and saying, mom and dad, I'm scared. Now on a night you're not scared and those things are going on, that's a night you get in trouble. But that night of getting in trouble and correction and, and saying, no, you got to go back to your bed may lead you from being able to be open and honest on the night of fear. There's a difference in those nights. I want my teenager one day to be able to talk to me about their temptations, which means right now they got to be able to talk to me about their fears. And, and, and can I tell you as a parent, it's not easy you, you've got to still parent and lead and guide and instruct and nurture while not breaking the spirit of the person you're leading, guiding, and instructing and nurturing. How many of you have ever found that there's a very fine line between a lack of parenting and over-parenting? A lack of, can I tell you what I can't be? I can't be in control of my daughter's life or my son's life. I can't, I want to be, but 
you know, what Jordan's always taught me, you've got to let them fall. You've got to let them learn how to get back up. You've got to let them do these things because if they're not learning and every time they fall, you're picking them up. And every time they go through something, you're there. Now, don't, don't take me wrong. We never let our kids be hurt. But how many of you have ever noticed that kids will cry just because they got scared or something else and, and you need them to get tougher. And so she's teaching me, hey, you've got to let them become their own person. But the truth is, even my fears can hinder them becoming what God created them to be and I can dictate them to be what I want to be. We were driving down the road the other day going to an appointment and Canaan was in the back seat. We were going through Knoxville. She calls the World's Trade, uh, the World Tower the, from the World's Fair, whatever that is. She calls it the Paw Patrol Tower. <laughs> and I've often said, what a great business idea. You know, and now I just gave it to all of you. But here it is, like, that would be a great event. All the kids would show up if we turned that into the Paw Patrol Tower. But as we're doing that, she goes, hey, you know, Mom, Dad, one day when I move out of your house and I live on my own and I live down here, I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> Literally said it. And I'm like, you're four. Why are you breaking my heart? Like, why are you doing this? And then, of course, it wasn't, I'm going to go where I want. It's, I'm going to play with any toy I want. I'm going to buy any toy I want. Then we try to explain to her that to buy a toy, you have to have a job. And then it's like, oh, well, okay. So she keeps going on in this elaborate scheme that she has planned out in her four-year-old mind of the time that she's going to live alone. In my heart, you want to shut those moments down, but in, in my mind, it, it's got to be an educational moment. And so I've learned this. If mom and me and Canaan are together and we need an educational moment, dad shuts up and mom does the talking. That's Zachariah all the way down through, right? Like, and mom's pouring in, but you got to have a job. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. These are the things that you're going to have to take on in order for that to be happening. In my mind, it's I'm scared of that. I'm scared of that. I'm scared of that. No, 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 no. You know, like you want to live in downtown Knoxville? No, because next thing I know you'll be wearing orange and that's not happening. <laughs> the truth is, is listen, that doubt will keep us. I don't want to hinder my daughter from wear, marrying the right men. I want her to have the right one, the godly one. But my overprotected helicopter dad wants to say, you'll never date anyone. You'll never have a broken heart. My overprotection says we're going we're gonna to keep you sheltered. But the truth is, is the world's still out there whether you want to admit it or not. And so instead of sheltering you, let's prepare you. Instead of being afraid of, oh my goodness, what is everybody going to say? Joseph thinking I'm going to break up with her. It's she needs somebody to stand by her and I will stand by her to the end because what God is doing is more important than what people think about what is happening. At some point, we got to have confidence to be able to take on the next thing. Look at this. All four characters, they had to trust that God was doing something that was an unrealistic prophecy. I mean, I mean we got to look that God gave Mary, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth Mary because they needed somebody to lean on in a thing that didn't make sense. We got to believe that both Mary and Zechariah remembered that as they went through this and as they saw God's prophecies coming true, that they had to keep praise in the forefront. Matter of fact, in this passage, look at it if you would in Luke chapter number two. Um, I, I, I like this in verse number 38 or Luke 1, 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said to me come true. And the angel left her. She has faith. In verse 45, Elizabeth says to Mary, you are truly blessed because you believed what the, that the Lord would do what he said. You got to have faith. 
And then Mary, when she realized that all these things are taking place, she sings a song of praise. When Zechariah gets his voice back, he sings a song of praise. Look at this, if you would. Mary's one, in verse number 46, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. I, I think we need reminded of these. Can we just keep reading through this praise song? For the most high, the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Who can say yes to that? How many of you realize today and believe that God is perfect? That God is powerful? And how many of you have noticed that God does great things for you and me? Keep going. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. How many of you are thankful today that God's mercy has invaded your life? I look back at my family generation, the generational curse in my family. And I'm thankful that what one generation did is not the same as what this generation is doing. That God's mercy trickled down for years. Matter of fact, I did some research today because I really wanted to figure out how long it was between when God gave the promise to Abraham and Mary got pregnant, and you have 42 generations that transpire in between this. Over 422 years pass from promise to possibility. Can I give you a word today? You need to trust the prophecy of God in your life. Because it may not be for your life. It may be for your children's children. And the decisions that you're making today and the trust that you're building today are building what God is going to be able to do. Opening the doors to the possibilities of what's going to happen in your grandchildren's life and your great-grandchildren's life and their grandchildren's life. We are establishing today the promises of God that will pass down. Matter of fact, Mary talks about that. And look at this. It says in, in verse number 51, his mighty arm has done tremendous things for me. He scattered the proud and haughty ones. I did that verse this week. He, he has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. How many of you need reminders that we need to stay humble? All right, can we say that today? Never think of yourself as better than you actually are. That's how Paul wrote it. Never, never judge yourself fa- uh, uh, fairly, uh, not according to how good you think you are, but by God's standard in our lives today. Stay humble and God will raise you. Don't be humble and you will fall. I mean, that's just simply it. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. Here's the verse that got me thinking on that. For he made his promise to our ancestor, to Abraham, and his children forever. You know what I've got written in my notes? May the promises of God be so real in my life that 40 generations from now, they're reaping the benefits of it. I mean, think about Mary 422 years later knows what Abraham and his experiences with God brought in the truth and the word of what God would do in their family. For all you that are teaching our children, literally in our church, teaching your children literally in your home, don't take for granted the truths that you're putting in front of them because they will pass down generations to come. What a cool thought. Zechariah, when he got his voice back, In in verse number 68 says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. 
He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant, David, just as he promised through this holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor, Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. I'm going to tell you this right now. There comes a moment in our lives that we're praying hard for God to do something. How many of you have had that? Maybe you're there now where you're asking God to do something incredible, to show you something incredible, to lead you somewhere incredible, or to give you a word that will help somebody else become incredible. And then all of a sudden, after all this time, God makes it happen and we forget to praise. I mean, how many of you, I like how uh, one of our youth, uh, Bree, taught it. We, we're rubbing God as a genie in the bottle, but yet we're never returning to God to say thank you. How many of you have ever done something very significant for someone and they acted as if what you did was not a big deal? Slip your hands up. How many of you have ever experienced that? Where did it leave your heart? Huh? Hurt. Somebody said, what else? Where did it leave your mind? Confused. Why? Because you might not have done it with an expectation of gratitude, but man, it's shocking when gratitude isn't there. How many of you like to be used by other people? All right, how many of you cannot stand it when you're used by other people? Matter of fact, write this down. If you want to make somebody mad, use them, slight them, cheat them, lie to them. They're going to be mad every time. Devalue them and anger is coming. If you, if you devalue or I devalue somebody in our words and what we do, anger is the result. That's why the Bible says we're to be kind, right? What's it say that kindness will do? It'll heap coals of fire on their head. The thing is, is I believe we're living in a generation of church to where God is doing great things and the church isn't grateful. There's a little bit of entitlement. We believe that just because we come to church, we should get all the blessings and promises of God. And even though God is good and gracious and merciful and kind, and even though God lets it rain on the fields and the, uh, of the just and the unjust, don't expect all the giftings of God when we're living opposed to the way that God has told us to live or living as if God's gifts are worthless and meaningless to us. Both of them had a praise for God when they saw an unrealistic prophecy come true. I, I, I thought about this when I was reading this chapter of how devastating this is. Listen, both of these women... We're going to give birth to babies who would be murdered. Both of these ladies are going to have to witness a heartbreak of their own son being killed right before their eyes. I'm telling you right now, if you're going through circumstances like that, it takes a tremendous amount of faith. It takes a person or a people coming together and saying, I've got to remove my doubt and I've got to walk in faith and I've got to trust the words of God. I don't know where you are in your life, but in this time of year, in this season of our world, in this generation where the world's kind of a little bit crazy and the future's a little bit hard to see. Absent the word of God, we wouldn't have a clue what was going on around us. We need people that believe the word of God and stand on it and proclaim it and live it in faith, even though we haven't seen the prophecies fulfilled yet. 
We need people that are going to say, I'm not going to walk in my doubts and in my fears. I'm not going to walk in my shame and in my regret. I'm going to walk in the truth of which God has given me, and I'm going to pursue his holiness and pursue his righteousness. We need a generation of people like Mary that would say, may everything you said be done. I, my, your servant, will do it. We will follow. We will believe. May people around you like Elizabeth be able to see, hey, look, you're going to be blessed for many generations because you're willing to do exactly how the Lord has said. I believe we need a church that comes back to a hunger and a longing for the truth of God and not just a hunger and longing for it, but a desire and willingness to live it out in the way that we go and in the things that we do. You know, I often lately have gone back and forth in my head with certain decisions. And certain things that I know that God has called me to and know that God has said, I'll battle and I'll, I'll let others come in and contaminate. I'll let their words become my gospel instead of the John 3 16s. I'll let their actions become my hymnal instead of the praise and worship that I should have for my father. I'll become the praise and worship of what they say and do. How many of you sometimes, if you're honest, you get caught up in the reality of the moment instead of the faith in God? How many of you have ever done that? Slip a hand up. Let's see it. How many of us have ever stopped something because somebody told us to or not done something because it seemed a little unrealistic. I believe the Christmas story, especially this Luke 1, you've got two angels that appear to two different people. You've got two spouses that believe what the angel has said to those two different people. And you see the possibilities of God being made known to people as a result of faith, as a result of promise, as a result of obedience. And I believe today we need to raise a generation of people then know the calling of God and pursue it regardless of what everybody else says and what everybody else thinks. That, that not only know it, but they actually live it. And not only live it, they proclaim it. We're living in a world that's proclaiming everything else but Jesus right now. We're living in an age of the church that's proclaiming everything else but Jesus right now. So I'm going to ask you some questions in closing. I want you to answer me honestly. When it comes to the moment that you're standing before God, whether it be that you've died and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, or that the rapture has happened and you're standing at the, the, the mercy seat of God, and you're being judged for the, the words of your life, the actions of your life, and the things that you've done. How many of us would agree that the only thing that matters when we stand before God is what? Talk to me, come on. Your faith in Jesus. I hear people are whispering it because they don't know if it's the right answer. It is. Will everything else matter? Will what you wore to church matter? Would how much of the Bible you knew matter in that moment? The main thing that matters is Jesus, your relationship with him. And I believe we're in a world that wants us to, to really believe in ourselves and in our church and your tradition rather than Jesus. And I, I think you need to know this, like your denomination, your, your church affiliation, even your knowledge of the Bible will not get you one second in heaven. But the precious blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life will. I think there's a lot in the scripture that we can disagree on, but that we cannot. That is the most important fact and truth that we learn from God's word. It is the Christmas story. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Somebody say it with me. Uh, 
Savior. And I like how it ends, which is Christ the Lord. They're in transition. Don't leave that, don't leave that out. Unto you right now, there's a Savior who's going to be the Lord. This is your salvation moment. This is the moment that matters. It doesn't matter if you're a shepherd in a field poor and broke in the darkness working the third shift. It doesn't matter if you're a magi who has all the power and authority you need and wealth that you have and desire at your fingertips. It doesn't matter if you're a Herod who hates Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a virgin giving birth. It does not matter who you are. What matters that moment is today on that day in Luke 2 Jesus was there and that's who needed to be accepted and that's who needed to be acknowledged and that's the only hope that you and I have and today I am so tired of Pharisee and Sadducee and and pride minds that come in and say all this other stuff matters no you will send people to hell trying to get them to live by a strict law abiding obedience the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and then to trust Jesus Christ to lead and guide them into a life of obedience to the regulations that he has. We will never usher that truth in if we're people of doubt. And so today, if I get the title for the sermon, it's two words, be bold, but not about you. Be bold about Jesus. I had people tell me that there's no way I could be saved, but they're not Jesus. I have people tell me that there's no way that I should be pastoring or preaching, but they're not Jesus. You'll have people that say there's no way that this should work out for you. There's no way that God could use you, but they're not Jesus. And you can live your life and you can make your life according to the standards of what other people think. Or you can be thankful today like a Zechariah and Mary that says he's been merciful to me. He's rescued me. He's delivered me from my enemies. He is the most high. He is the king of kings. He's fulfilled his promises and we are safe and free of fear. And thank God secure in heaven with his Holy Spirit living in our hearts. Be bold. Be bold, because the eternal lives of others reign. They live, they, 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 they literally are carried by the truth of the boldness of Christ in you. They hang in the balance. And our reality has to be him. And I believe today that many of you in here, we can say, the favor of God's on you. Because you've been willing to do exactly like he said. But for those of us that that can't be set up, let's make a difference. Let's make a change. Let's, let's, let's let people know what we believe. And not about yourself, but about him. Be bold. Because the time of the gospel will one day run out. And nobody knows when. The message matters. The method matters. The vessel matters. But what will you do with the testimony that God has given you? An angel shows up to Zechariah and gives him a testimony. And Zechariah doubts it. An angel shows up to Joseph and gives him a testimony. And Joseph doubts it. But an angel, hey, he touches these women and what do they do? They boldly proclaim it. They live it out. I'm just telling you now, I don't know about you, but... I want to go down as someone who dies proud of what 
God has done for me and willing to share it. Bow your heads and close your eyes and nobody look around. How many of you right now, maybe you've got some season of doubt going on. How many of you are sitting in silence when some words need to be spoken, when some meetings need to happen, some restoration needs to take place? How many of you got lost loved ones that need to hear the truth of God's love? Silence will keep you from your ministry, keep you from connection, keep you from all those things that are so necessary to be able to get God's word out. Is there anybody in here today that would say, God, help my unbelief, give me confidence in my doubt to be able to say and speak with boldness and love the things that you have done for me? Is there anybody here today that would declare war on your silence and doubt and say, God, here am I, make me bold? Would you slip your hand up? Amen. Wow, there's so many, so many. How many of you are here today and maybe doubt is because the circumstance just doesn't make sense? Maybe you got the Joseph type of doubt. Worried about what people will think and say. Worried about how this could be true. Maybe going back and forth with the promises of God. Something inside you tells you there's a God. Something inside you shows you there's a God. His word has been made true in your life, yet somehow in the times you need it the most, you doubt whether or not God cares for you or God can do the things that he has laid out. Is there anybody here today that says, Pastor Josh, pray for me. I feel like I'm missing the opportunities, the callings, the relationships and connections that God has for me because I'm doubting the promises of God and the word of God when it comes to the calling on me. Would you slip your hand up and say, that's me? Worry about what people think more than I'm worried about God's truth. Wow, that's a lot. Take your hands down. We asked this a few weeks ago. We're going to ask it again. If you believe Jesus is coming, say yes. yes. If you believe he's Lord, say yes. yes. You believe he died and rose again and became the savior of the world, conquering all death and all hell and every sin that would ever be committed, say yes. And if he is God, the King of Kings, the Son of God, sitting on the right hand of God, and we believe he is coming, then we need to get a courage and a confidence that allows us to make him know now. And if that is your prayer and your heart, how many of you would believe and say to this, heaven is real today, yes? Hell is real today, yes? Your life matters and hangs in the balance of someone's decision of whether they go to heaven or hell. So should your testimony be heard? Yes or no? Yes. So is there anybody with me that would say these three words? I had to say them so many times this morning in my prayer time on the way to church. Make me bold. God, make me bold. And if that is you, and you see the needs of others, and you see the fear and the hurting in the world, and you see the eternal value that each soul has, and we're sitting too quiet. Is there anybody in the room that would echo those words with me? God, make me bold. Say, I'm ready. God, make me bold. And this week, when you hear somebody hurting and you're being led to lead them in prayer, God, make me bold. This week, when you're in the checkout line, and, and lines get longer for the next two weeks. When they, 
when you're standing there and, and you hear what somebody's going through, God, make me bold. When you're at a gas pump and you hear the fear and God's landing on your heart, maybe even to buy the gas for the person, God, make me bold. When you're at your workplace and somebody's going through something and, 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 and you hear the need, God, make me bold. And when you, you come in contact with a lost person, the Holy Spirit tells you to share a salvation moment, to share a gospel of God, God, make me bold. And, and may we be able to stand at the end of our lives and say, God, it brought favor and honor, not only to his name, but to our name, because in our lives, we did exactly as he told us to do, because we were not afraid to be bold in our faith. God, make me bold. And I promise if you live boldly this week, someone's life will be radically changed. Yours as well. The greatest value you'll ever feel is when you know that God has used you to minister, to rescue, to renew someone else in his name.